Hey folks, it's Seth. What am I doing here before the intro, you might ask? Well, you're about to find out. Um, unfortunately, I'm here to deliver some sad news, which is that um, we lost some audio for this episode. So unfortunately, Ajanta's wonderful description of the five days of Diwali was lost. So I definitely encourage you to do your own research about those. It's a super awesome holiday and uh, you'll still learn some things about it, but unfortunately not about the specifics of what happens on the five days. So I apologize for that. Um, but other than that, enjoy the show. I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. folks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. This week, we're talking a little bit about some different uh, winter celebrations. Uh, I know last month we talked a little bit about some autumn celebrations. And so I thought it would be interesting to sort of do a, a seasonal roundup and learn a little bit about some different celebrations. And I just, um, you know, folks, maybe you're tuning in for the first time. If you're not tuning in for the first time, you'll know that I, you know, I think that it's really important to just teach kids about all different kinds of things. Um, and when it comes to, you know, celebrations and holidays, even ones that they don't celebrate, just to, you know, make them more well-rounded humans. And maybe they're going to meet someone who celebrates that. And then they'll say, hey, I know about that thing. Just nice to make well, well-rounded well individuals. So uh, I'm going to stop uh, talking now and blabbering on. Uh, and I'm going to uh, hand it over to my guests. We're just going to introduce ourselves. We're going to do our name, our pronouns, where you're from your relationship with kids and what winter celebration you celebrate. And if you need a reminder of any of that, because it's a lot, let me know. <laughs> Hi, my name is Ajanta. Um, pronouns is she, her. Um, I, uh, I was born and raised in India, but for the last many years, I've been in Chicago, before that Bay Area, before that Canada. Um, so yeah, I've, I've lived in a bunch of places, but yeah, currently residing in the very cold Chicago. My relationship with kids is that, well, I have a six-year-old, um, but other than that, it's been a decade of teaching kids in Chicago. We have a dance company and we have you know, more than 200 students uh, every year who's, who learn with us. Um, and it's a dance and culture company. Um, uh, it's called Bollywood Group. And that's given us about a decade of a lot and lots of relationship with kids. In terms of what winter celebration we celebrate, today I would love to talk about Diwali, which is the festival of lights from India, because that is where I was born and raised. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I, I know, uh, you know, a little bit about Diwali, so I'm excited to really like dig, deep, uh, dig deeper into it. So my name is Crystal Gamble. I'm from Madison, Alabama. And for those who aren't familiar with Madison, it's a suburb of Huntsville, Alabama, uh, which houses the world's largest space and rocket center, as well as space camp. So everyone's heard of space camp before. Uh, we actually are a very eclectic group of people, lots of military brats, et cetera, all brought into one little area in the South. I'm a mom of three boys. They are 11 years apart. <laughs> I homeschool the youngest. He's in kindergarten and he's gifted. So that's a lot of fun. The big boys just kind of ignore him. So it, it kind of is what it is. In addition to being a parent, I'm also the vice president of our library's friends group. We are the support system for the library. We have fundraisers, children's programs. Uh, we purchase additional books for the library. And in general, we get them anything that they need. It's all about our community. So with that said, the winter celebration I'm going to be sharing with you is Kwanzaa, which is also all about community. Awesome. And I, I don't know if I missed it. Did you say what your pronouns are? Oh, she, she, her. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> okay. I'm Leslie Kimmelman 
and my pronouns are she, her, and I uh, live in New York, just outside of New York City, although I grew up outside Philadelphia. I'm the mother of two grown children mm-hmm. and very recently of a grandson. So I'm Aww, having lots, congratulations. lots of fun with that. He's, he's, <laughs> he's just over a year and he's in a really Aww. fun phase. And I also am a children's book writer and I've written probably close to about 100 books for children and uh, mostly picture books. And I also have worked until just a few months ago, I um, worked at Sesame Street for about 25 years. So I'm intimately familiar with Cookie Monster, my my favorite, and uh, all the other Rest all the rest of the gang. Can I ask what you did? I was an editor there. I worked in the books department. I also worked in special projects. So um, I don't know if you are familiar with the new character, Julia, Mm -hmm. um, who has autism. That was basically my character. So um, because I have a, a grown child with autism. That's amazing. I love Julia. Thank you. Me too. Um, but yeah, I was, I worked in the books department for many, many years. And the winter celebration that I will be talking about is Hanukkah, which is also a festival of lights like Diwali. <laughs> Amazing. I'm a, I'm a nanny, for those of you who may not know. And um, I, I work right now with twins who are two and a half. And I... My background is in art education, so I'm I still like I basically make lesson plans every week, and we have a theme every week, and we learn about different things. And one of the things we actually are doing this month is we're doing festivals of lights. So we we learned we actually learned a little bit about Diwali already, and then uh, we're we're doing Hanukkah soon. So I'm excited again to hear a little bit more about an insider's perspective. <laughs> Julia is a staple read in our home, by the way. We have the book, and we cannot stop reading it. Oh, that's so nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah, I'm always, I was really excited when, it's been a while since that Julia's existed, right? It's About been... two, two or three years. Now. Yeah. She was originally created just for a book, which is why I, mm. um, and on the web, and I did a lot of web stuff and book stuff. And mm-hmm. then she proved to be so popular that they migrated her to the TV show, for which Aww. I... That I don't have as much to do. She's now sort of in the hands of the Muppeteer yeah. and the um, script writers. But um, originally, yeah, she was in a book and on the web. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I just, I'm, I mean, we're, you know, I'm all about just like the kids learning about different kinds of people and different kinds of, you know, I think it's so important, right? Because you might not have you know, for me, for example, right, I did not grow up in a very diverse community in a lot of senses of the word. And right, the only maybe ways that I was being exposed to diversity as a kid were through the books my parents were reading me and through the shows I was watching. And so it's so important. That's true for a lot of kids. And so it's so important that we have diverse characters and in all senses of the word, right, and that we're learning about all different kinds of things, because that may be the only way kids are getting exposed to that stuff, which is why we're all here today. (laughs) Right. So before we sort of dive into the topic, Topic. Uh, I always ask this question as a first question, just because we talk a lot on the podcast about, you know, sort of topics that might be trickier, catch those kind of questions that might catch us off guard that kids ask. So I'm curious if there's ever been a time where a child asked you a question that you weren't prepared to answer. And this can be relevant to the topic or not, can be funny, can be serious, doesn't matter. <laughs> there is this one incident, and I was actually talking about the Diwali book. And the way that we approach the 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 books is always that we talk about the mythological part. And then I always say, you know, if this is what your family believes in, you believe in it. And otherwise, listen to them as stories. Um, And so I was talking about Diwali and and we talked about the whole celebration, the whole five days, how do you go about it and whatnot. 
And then this little girl, um, she raises her hand and asks me a question and she goes, are there any unicorns in the book? And I go, no, um, because, you know, the way I'm describing the celebration, this is real. Like, this is how we do it. And I didn't realize what I just said. And she goes, are unicorns not real? Oh, no. And I just paused for a second. I literally, my face, if you could see at that point, I did not know what to do. And I was like, no, no, that is not what I meant. Of course they are real. And yeah, that was that was a that was a very tricky escape out of a very, very innocent question. <laughs> well, I think that's so hard. I find like, you know, as an as an educator or someone who you know, whether it's my life as a nanny or someone who's not with their own kids, right? It's always tricky when kids ask questions and they're just like, Well, I don't know what like your your values are about this thing or what your parents have told you about this thing or like it's like I, uh, maybe your parents are still entertaining the fact that unicorns are real like I don't want to ruin that for you know what I mean it's like it's it's always so tricky when you're in that position where you're just like uh <laughs> oh my gosh the two big boys they're pretty normal boys of my boys nothing out of the ordinary they were good kids still are good kids they're they're great the young one <laughs> I realized very, very early he was gifted. And I've I've done some testing. I didn't, I actually decided to stop testing. He was getting to the age where I thought it might affect him overall. But my everyday for him since he's been like two has been a series of questions that I've had to look up. And that kind of throws me off. Mom's not a slacker. I'm I'm actually pretty smart myself, but he's on such a different level. Every day it's questions like, okay, so what's a number after infinity? What's infinity squared? What's <laughs> every day? Uh, Mom, how many elements are on the periodic table? Go look it up. Just, just go look it up. And it's crazy because I'm like, I have to constantly better myself and, and Google is my friend to answer the question this child has. I don't ever want to get to a point where he is not able to ask me a question and me not try to give him an answer. So every day, there's a question that I wasn't prepared to answer with this child. Today's question was, why can't I run in and talk to you? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's, it's so funny. I used to have a kid who, I don't know if they, uh, if they were gifted or not, but they just always had those kinds of, that I, the kid that I was nannying for about six months, who was four years old and always had those kinds of questions. Cause four-year-olds also just like ask questions about everything. So who knows? Um, but he, we would be in the bath and he'd be like, can a crab, you know, or can a starfish walk? And I'd be like, I have no, let's Google a video of starfish walking because like, I have no idea. They can't. We were very interested to watch a video of that, but like, yeah, it's so, it's so funny when kids ask you questions. And I think there's also like a real vulnerability in saying like, I don't know, like, let's, let's look it up. If it is a question that's, you know, Googleable and not some kind of philosophical <laughs> question. I don't know. I feel like when, when I was a kid, my parents felt like they needed to have all the answers. Um, and I feel like a lot of parents still do feel like that. And I think it's okay to be like, no, I don't know. Like grownups, just spoilers, like grownups don't know everything, right? Um, and I think it's important to sort of share that with kids. So as a mom of a gifted child, I completely relate to what you just said. Um, my child's uh, favorite question to his teacher right now is, why do we exist? Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, yes, and this is what we had a parent teacher meeting and the teacher was like, uh, it's kind of interesting, the kind of question your son asks. <laughs> I was like. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's one of those like there's you can't even Google that, you know. 
I know those are the those are the really tricky ones when it's like existential questions or like philosophical questions, and you're just like, especially when it's not your own kid, right? If they're asking questions about like God or death or you know these kinds of like bigger things, you're just like, Ugh. even when it is your kid, sometimes you don't have the answers. Oh my gosh. Well, I think that um, parents felt like they had to know all the answers because there was no thing such as Google. <laughs> I mean, we just made it up. Well, there was nowhere to look. So my my question that uh, I've been asked is much more uh, run of the mill question. I do a lot of author talks at schools and and synagogues and so forth, and um, I usually explain the difference between an author and an illustrator. And I am so not an illustrator because I am a very bad artist. But of course, a kid once asked me why I wasn't an illustrator, and when I explained well, I, I'm not a very good artist. She asked me, are you sure you're trying your hardest? That's what I really miss in this um, Zoom era is that interaction with the, you know, I've done a lot of virtual visits, but they're not the same. They're, it's so much fun to see what they come up with. I know. Yeah, it's not, it's totally not the same because you can't, what, when it first started, um, when COVID was like first, you know, starting and everything was sort of shifting to going virtual, I did some story times virtually. And it's just not the same because like you can't interact with the kids in the same way, you know, and it's so funny because you know, like they heard that from someone, right? If they were like, oh, I'm not good at it. They're like, well, are you trying hard? You know? <laughs> so this is the part where we're going to sort of shift. So we're going to start uh, talking about Diwali. And uh, I'd like to first ask, you know, like just a little bit, a uh, little bit about it. Like when does it take place? Is it like cold? cultural or religious? Um, and where does it originate from a specific part of the world? Diwali is the festival of lights from India. Um, I like to think of it as it's like the Christmas equivalent of uh, the North America. Um, it is a, the biggest celebration that comes out of South Asia in some sense. Um, when does it take place? So Diwali was actually um, just a, it was the last weekend actually. Yes, my goodness, it feels like it was so long ago. Um, it was last weekend and the date changes every year because it's, a, it's, a, it's based on a lunar calendar. Um, so the exact date keeps shifting every year. And uh, is it a cultural or religious celebration is a great question because the answer is yes and yes. Um, and it can be no and no. It's based on how you celebrate it. So there are families that treat it very much as a religious celebration. Um, and there, there is a lot of praying and, and all of that involved. And then there are families like us. And we have more of a, you know, for the lack of a better term, we have more of a spiritual practice. And even through my books, it's always been highlighting the cultural aspects of the celebration. And so that's exactly what we do. We focus on the cultural aspects of it, the, the base story behind it, you know, why do we celebrate and all of that good stuff. Um, but that's basically for us, it is, a, it, is a, it is more of a cultural celebration, whereas it could be very religious for other people. Um, where does it originate from? The, the basic story is definitely from India. Um, it is from a northern part. Uh, but of course, over the time, it has kind of had taken a it, it's taken a life of its own. Um, it is now celebrated while with their local traditions in a lot of the South Asian countries. And now, as those people have migrated to the rest of the world, now it's literally celebrated everywhere. <laughs> I love that you had to you know sort of explain like what it, what is Diwali all about? What's what's its deal? Yeah, so the basic story. So I'm going to try to keep this super short. So essentially, here's what happened, okay? There was this king, and he was exiled. He was sent into exile for 14 years, where he lived with um, the queen, his wife, and his brother. 
And what ends up happening one day is that the, the queen is by herself. Okay, so they're living in a forest in a hut and she's living by herself over there when this evil king, his name is Ravan, he shows up and he basically puts on a disguise of a beggar um, and he begs. Um, and as she goes out to give him some food or something, he essentially kidnaps her. He takes her away to his own palace and so when the good king, his name is Ram, he finds out that, you know, the queen has been kidnapped. He, of course, being a very brave uh, person, he goes all the way to Ravan's house and there's this massive fight um, in which Ravan uh, is defeated, Ram wins, and then the three of them come back, not to the forest anymore, they now go back to their palace. And the day that they come back, the whole city essentially rejoices. Their entire kingdom says, you know, welcome back, Ram, Sita, Lakshman. Those are the three names. And that day to celebrate, they essentially decorate the whole city with flowers and lights. And then that tradition continued. So every single year after that, they continue to kind of basically, you know, mark that day through the same decorations. And as time went by, somehow the fireworks got into picture because if there are lights, you know, why not add the sound as well? What is your favorite thing about Diwali? Yes. So um, there are, of course, so many little traditions um, with Diwali and it's, it's always fun to kind of get together and celebrate each one of those. But what has become the, the favorite part for our family is we started our own family tradition. And on day four, which is Sal Mubarak, instead of giving each other gifts, what we do is we actually buy a lot of things um, which are winter essentials and we make these care packs um, and then in non-COVID times, you know, we would go around and we would distribute them to people in need. Um, so essentially people living on the streets or, or something of that sort. This year we're basically going to donate all of it, but we are making the care packs. Um, but that's, that's become the sweetest thing for, for us as a family to come together. You know, we, we, we sit down, we talk about you know, what we have, it gives us a moment of, uh, of reflection, of gratitude, of how, you know, fortunate we are. Um, and then we make these care packs and then we go and donate them to people who really need them, especially in Chicago because the winters are so brutal. Um, but that has become my favorite part of the festival, honestly. That's really funny because my wife and I actually two years ago started doing the same tradition better on Christmas time. But because we live in Montreal again, where it's very cold and uh, there's a large homeless population. Um, so we, it actually, it's funny, it all started because this is a little bit of a tangent, but it all started because one year we we were actually um, we we're like fairly low income and we got like a Christmas basket. We did we sort of did like a you know, we went to like a food bank and they gave us food and they gave us 14 baguettes. And we were like, what are we going to do with 14 baguettes? So uh, we were just like, this is, it was they gave us. Such, I mean, it was very nice to receive free food, but it was weird stuff. And uh, we were just like, what are we going to do with all this? So we were like, why don't we make sandwiches and like sort of like pay it forward a little bit? And it sort of like started that year because we needed to get rid of all those baguettes somehow. We were like brainstorming. And then we just sort of continued it uh, every year. But it's, yeah, it's a really, um, and it's also like lovely to do that kind of stuff with kids. So yeah, to really, you know, think about, and like you were saying, to take a moment to think about like, hmm, like what do we have and what are we thankful for, you know? But, uh, but anyway, so thank you for sharing all about Diwali. Uh, I guess we will move on now to learning a little bit about Kwanzaa. So let me tell you my background on, on Kwanzaa. My community that I live in currently, um, and the one that I also volunteer with the library for, is where I grew up celebrating Kwanzaa. It was a normal everyday thing for me. We did Christmas, we did Kwanzaa, New Year's. It was all, all very, very normal. And Kwanzaa is, it's, 
actually, this is a strange thing. Most people have a lot of misconceptions about Kwanzaa. First, let me get those out of the way. Kwanzaa is not an African celebration. <laughs> um, it was created in 1966 uh, by Dr. Milana Karenga. He's a professor at um, California State University, Long Beach. And what he was doing was he was trying to institute a feeling of pride in color and culture here in the United States, where there was so much racial discord going on. So Dr. Karenga, he came up with this entire holiday that he wanted people to start trying to celebrate kind of a black pride Pan-African celebration. So it is not African, it is definitely African-American. The cool thing about it is that even now, it spread. Millions of people celebrate Kwanzaa, not just in the US, but in the Caribbean, some places in Africa, anywhere that culturally ancestral Africans are living in the world now. That's kind of their time to kind of come together and reflect on um, their culture, their pride, their experiences, as well as instill those types of things to the future. And that it really is what it's about. It's about community and instilling great values and morals and pride in children. I love that. When does it take place generally? So Kwanzaa starts the day after Christmas, December 26th. And every the number seven is, is kind of holy, I guess you would say, in Kwanzaa, even though it is not a religious holiday. It is definitely secular. Seven days you celebrate Kwanzaa. So the day after Christmas all the way to New Year's Day. And each day has a different purpose or a principle that goes with it. And on each of those days, you do something a little different. You reflect a little differently. You set up in your home. And so this is how you actually celebrate. Because a lot of people don't know what you do for Kwanzaa. Um, in your own homes, you would set up sort of an altar or a table, you would say, that you decorate beautifully. You would put African cloth on it as well as a mat. And the mat is called an mkeka. And it has, you know, can be African cloth as well. It can be handmade woven basket type mat. But on that mat, that's where you put all of your symbols of Kwanzaa. You put a kanara, which is kind of the centerpiece of that. It will remind you a little bit of the Jewish menorah. It's got, it's a candle holder and we light those candles on all seven days of Kwanzaa. Um, there's also ears of corn on the mat. That's another symbol. You put an ear of corn on the mat for each child. Um, there's fruits and vegetables on the mat as well as nuts, things that kind of represent the harvest and uh, first fruits. And that's actually what the word Kwanzaa means. It means first swoop, first fruits in Swahili. So Dr. Karanga, he's, his professorship, he's actually a professor of Africana studies at his university. So he tried to bring in a lot of African elements, just kind of to mentally bring anyone who's celebrating it back to the motherland. So Swahili is used throughout. There's a lot of African symbols used. Some of them are Egyptian, um, definitely a lot of African kente. So it's not even any particular part of Africa. It is definitely African-American. He just wants people to remember, hey, your motherland, your ancestry, if we did a DNA test on you, shows that you come from an African country. And don't forget some of the things that our ancestors did and learned before you came over to wherever you are now in the world. Do you mind talking a little bit about the principles? No, not at all. So there's seven days between, like I said, between the end of Christmas, uh, the day after Christmas to New Year's. And each day is a principle of Kwanzaa. Uh, the first day is Emoja. And Emoja means very simply 
unity. There is a cup on your altar, and that is called the unity cup. So that first night of Kwanzaa, you would take the unity cup and pass it around the table, and you would speak about what you're going to get ready to get into, the celebrations of Kwanzaa, what we're reflecting on, and everyone has a, has a drink from that same cup. Obviously, symbolizing unity, it's a libation. Anything that's left in the cup, you kind of pour over your fresh fruits that are on the altar. Um, sometimes someone will put a plant on the altar, on the altar itself, because it's life. And you would take the rest of that from the unity cup, say if it was water, and you pour it into the plant. Uh, just kind of an offering to the ancestors, so to say. So for that first day, it's just the point is to celebrate sticking together. No matter the time, no matter the situation. Again, all of this is about family. You do this together as a family. You dress in dashikis and African garb. You make sure the children are gathered around. You involve your elders, your older people. It, it is definitely a cultural coming together. Um, the second day is Kuchichagulia. And the principle of that is self-determination. That's what it means in Swahili. We focus on doing our best in life. So that'd be a great time to talk, talk to kids about doing well in school. Um, treating people well, being kind. This is something you would kind of impart that particular day. And I didn't mention it, but the black candle is the unity candle. It's in the very center of your canara. That's lit on the first day. And on the second day, you light a red candle and the candles are lit from left to right. There's three red in a row. Uh, they're on the left side. They symbolize the struggle of our people. The black candle symbolizes the people themselves and the green candles all symbolize the future or the children. Day three, Ujima. That means collective work and responsibility. The whole point of that is to come together to maintain your community. For kids, that's a great day to go out and do community cleanup, visit the elderly, maybe have them do something that would be enriching for the neighborhood around them overall. Um, the thought is, is I am my brother and my sister's keeper. And we can solve all of our problems together. Day four, Ujima. And that means cooperative economics. We buy and spend our money in our own communities with our own people. And we help to support their success. So here's the best easy way to, to think about this. Because it starts to sound kind of, you know, very alternative. But all of these principles are really just things we should all do anyway. You know how Black Friday's coming up? Well, Small Business Saturday comes directly after and the whole point there is, yeah, it's great to spend money with the big guys, but it's also good just to spend money with the little guys that are around the corner and really could use support. I feel like especially like during these times, you know, a lot of us are, you know, maybe shifting to going to Amazon or places like that. And like, we still want to remember like small businesses, especially like now are really struggling. And while it might take a little longer than your Amazon Prime order, you know, you're really, you know, it's, it's a good idea to do that. And especially like, I like you were saying, sort of to shop within communities. Very much so. So, I mean, you've got a whole day that's its only purpose. Uh, something I did specific with my sons on day four on, on Ujima. Ujama, I'm sorry. We will go out and we'll go visit a lot of our local stores. Um, sometimes those are art galleries. Maybe they're, um, we've actually have a store nearby that sells um, African styled clothing. And they take the proceeds and they donate it to communities in Africa, a portion of those proceeds. We make sure we go shop there. I mean, it doesn't hurt out of 365 to go and shop in your community for one day. Now, mind you, we celebrate these principles not to do it for one day. It's to do it for 365, to keep our mind on it. But you have to start somewhere. 
So at the very least on during Kwanzaa, you know that you're going to support a black business. We go to art galleries. We, we specifically, I, I have the children each pick their own favorite pieces of art by that artist. The artists love talking about why they created pieces. As and, an artist, I love that. That's yeah. Awesome. I mean, <laughs> I, I think that's great. And it does. It instills a sense of pride in them. They know that, you know, representation matters. Someone that looks like me made this beautiful piece of art. I picked it out and supported them. This is something I want my children to continue forever. So to do Kwanzaa every year, it teaches them those kinds of things. Day five is Nia. We're getting, you know, closer to the end of Kwanzaa, but Nia means purpose. You want to restore and maintain the greatness of your people. So we teach our kids that we, the generation we are now, we're the custodians and heirs of a great civilization. I, I love to explain to my children, you know, slavery is often taught in schools and looked upon as something that's negative and bad. And it was. But if you think about those that made it across the Middle Passage that are thriving here today, African-Americans are 13% of the population. We come from very, very tough struggle in times that are still going on. And yet, you know, our community thrives. We're not going anywhere. So that does create a sense of pride in a child. It's not all negative stereotypes. It's, it's a sense of, wow, I can't believe what we've gone through and where we come from. So... That's, that's really the point of, of Nia. So then we start to light that, the green candles. We're, we're really starting to impart things to the children, to the future. So that's the first green candle is Nia. Day six is Kaumba. Kaumba in, in Swahili means creativity. That's the day that we use our gifts, our personal gifts, whether we're artists, musicians, dancers, it doesn't matter. We do something to benefit the community with our gifts. It could be something as simple that day as you have a grandparent that quilts. Maybe that grandparent takes the time to show that child and that next generation the first few stitches of how to create a quilt. Or maybe a painter who would bring the child in and say, hey, let's paint together. Let me show you something that I do that I can teach you or a musician or a dancer or a drummer. These are all things we want to make sure they focus on and bring it on in to continue the tradition. And last but not least is day seven. This is on New Year's Day. It's Imani. And Imani means faith. And it's pretty much the principle says that to believe with all of our heart in our people, in our parents, in our teachers, our leaders, and the righteousness and victory of our struggle. This is the big day. The whole festival culminates in a celebration and a feast. And everyone gets together. They have a big meal. Sometimes you have some, some more African-flavored flair to it. You would wear your dashikis this day. It really is about pride. Now, me being Southern, my idea of a Kwanzaa feast is literally, you know, fried chicken, <laughs> collard greens, cornbread, you know, just one of those really, really good meals. But overall, the kids understand that, hey, this is something special. I'm going to celebrate it every year. And they also give gifts during this time, uh, the gifts are given from the parents to the children. They're oftentimes homemade, but they're definitely something enriching. So you would give books, musical instruments, homemade dolls, maybe something that you found at an African craft store, something really special and personal. And that kind of, you know, wraps it all up. But we do this every year. My family has done it every year. I did it when I was a kid. My community used to hold big events at the community center where they'd bring in African dancers and drummers and speakers, older people to come and actually talk about the holiday or how they grew up. 
And this has been going on since the 60s. This was really, really popular in the 1970s. Um, it's not meant to be commercialized. Uh, Heineken tried to do an ad for Kwanzaa back in like, I think the 90s. And it went over really badly because <laughs> they're like, this is not the point of Kwanzaa. But a lot of people celebrate it. It's, it's still, it's, like I said, it's not a replacement for Christmas. It's not African. It is African-American. And Dr. Karenga, who's still living, still goes around the country and spreads the word about Kwanzaa, which is how he did it initially. It was a word of mouth celebration that community started doing. That's impressive. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> we made up our own holiday. I love that so much. And I, I also, I love like that there's, I mean, obviously there's like a big focus on community, but I also love that there's a focus on creativity, which is so cool as a creative person uh, and, you know, an artist, like, I feel like that's the kind of stuff that like I'm thinking about right in schools or that's the kind of thing that they're like, ah, that's not as important as like other stuff. And I love something that focuses on that. That's awesome. And like sharing, you know, it's like community creativity, like sharing your skills and gifts. That's so cool. What is your favorite thing about the celebration of Kwanzaa? Mine still has to be, I, I like to shop. I'm, I'm female. I can't help it. And like you, I've got an art background. I, I have worked in really, really large art galleries and I've sold very mainstream fine art. However, my roots um, were, was in African-American art, cultural art, African art. So it's a lot of fun to take my kids out because they see the art on the walls in my house, but to take them out to shop, to buy their own art and to kind of see them make that connection of why they like something, what appeals to them about it is really, really neat. And you can even tell, but when you're buying from the artists themselves, they're impressed. They're like, wow, these kids are really thinking about this. And I'm glad to see that we have the next generation of art collectors coming out. Sorry, shopping's still my favorite. <laughs> I'm all about day four. You know what? I'm a man and I love shop. I still love shopping. So, <laughs> And just so you know, Kwanzaa is not just for people of African descent. It's meant to be celebrated a lot like St. Patrick's Day. It's meant to be a way to to cross the racial divide. So you huh. know how we all go out I on St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> yeah. You know how we go out on St. Patrick's Day and everybody wears, you know, wears green and, and you go to the parades, etc. That's really how Kwanzaa is meant to be celebrated. We're, you know, we love to bring people with us to some of these community celebrations to get a little bit of culture, a little bit of history. So maybe that there's a little crossover of understanding between, you know, our lives and someone else's. That's awesome. And I absolutely did not know that. That's so cool. I love that. And I think, I think sometimes as I don't think anybody could say that they celebrate every holiday in the world, but uh, as you know, someone who doesn't celebrate, let's say Kwanzaa or Hanukkah, or, you know, any of the ones that we're talking about right now, I always feel a little bit like when I'm teaching my kids about it, I'm like, well, what is cultural appreciation versus cultural appropriation, right? Like, I don't want to be, you know, doing something that let's say is sacred, right, um, to someone else as, you know what I mean, when I'm teaching kids about something. Um, and so I think that it's, it's a nice so there's a holiday that it's sort of like, hey, welcome. Yes, we, we welcome all, celebrate Kwanzaa, learn more, come, get put on a daishiki, uh, <laughs> you know, light some candles, enjoy. It's just the fact that, you know, you can also appreciate another culture is great. I just wanted to say that we have that exact same sentiment around Diwali as well especially with kids because they love celebrating, right? I mean, it, it's just one of those things. They talk about their own birthdays for two months. And so anytime you can get them into celebrating something, it's such a perfect lens into learning about a different culture. And so that we have the exact same sentiment around Diwali. You do not have to be from India. You do not have to be from any of those South Asian countries. 
come in, celebrate and learn more. So Crystal, I completely am I'm on the same page as you on that one. I love that. Oh my gosh. Hey folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. Just a reminder, if you like awesome kids books, which you probably do if you're here, uh, definitely check out akidsbookabout.com. They have super stellar books about all different kinds of topics. They just announced about eight new books coming out, including one about gender, how to talk to kids about gender, which I'm really excited about. Um, that will definitely be on my uh, on my wish list. So definitely check them out. And if you do make a purchase with them, you can use the code RADCHILD. Child uh, upon checkout and you can get five dollars off uh, so definitely definitely do that we also want to give a quick shout out to the upford network which is the podcasting network we're a part of uh, they're a really really great network they have a variety of different kinds of shows um, and yeah i would definitely check them out you can do that at www.upfordnetwork.com as always you can find us at www.radchildpodcast.com or at radchildpodcast on facebook instagram and twitter if you'd like to contact us you can do so by emailing radchildpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to our website site www.radchildpodcast.com under the contact us section in that section there's also information about how to be a guest so if you're interested in being a guest we're always always looking for guests for um, a multitude of topics Um, so yeah definitely check that out and of course we really appreciate any way you're able to support us whether that's just telling your friends about us or maybe sharing a post about us um, or whether that is supporting us financially and if you're interested in supporting us financially you can do so by going to www.patreon.com forward slash rad child podcast and there you can donate as little as a dollar a month uh, and you can get some awesome rewards for donating things like bloopers like shout outs um, things like care packages even children's books delivered to you handpicked by me um, all sorts of really cool things um, so yeah if you would like to join our awesome patrons alex emma sarah and kai you can do so again at www.patreon.com forward slash rad child podcast Last but not least, we really, really appreciate another way that you could support us is by rating us and reviewing us on whatever uh, podcatcher you listen to us on. So whether that is Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, anything like that really, really helps us out. Uh, You can also rate and review us on our Facebook page. That really helps us as well. Just so people, you know, when they go on our page uh, can see that rating and say, hey, this looks like good content. Other people like this content. (laughs) Um, So yeah, if you do like our content, please, please go ahead and do that. Uh, All right. I think that's about it for today. So I'm going to hand it over to Crystal and Rebecca. Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages 3 to 8, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books. We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. Well, and now let's uh, shift to our final holiday of the day. Let's talk a little bit about Hanukkah.
So Hanukkah, like many other holidays, I think Diwali uh, was mentioned that it goes by a different calendar. So it's it's um, not on a set date. It's usually in December, although a few years ago it was on Thanksgiving and they called it Thanksgivinga. And some days, uh, some years it actually goes through New Year's even. This year it starts on the night of December 10th and it lasts for eight days and eight nights. And um, let's see, you asked where it originates. Well, this originated in ancient Judea, which is roughly modern day Israel, more than 2000 years ago. So it's a very, very, very old holiday. Slightly older than Kwanzaa. <laughs> the story basically is that uh, there was a king named Antiochus who wanted, who didn't want the Jews to be able to have religious freedom. Essentially, he didn't want them to be able to practice Judaism. So he made a lot of rules and um, a very, very small band of Jews led by uh, this band of brothers named the Maccabees decided to fight back against what was essentially a huge, they were ridiculously outnumbered. They decided to fight against the army. And for several years, they fought on what we now know is sort of guerrilla warfare. And eventually they actually prevailed and they won back the right to practice their religion. Um, the second part of the story is that when they got inside their temple, everything was ruined and smashed. And a lot of people don't know this, but Jews actually have a menorah all year round. And the, the regular menorah is seven branches for the seven days of the week. So they got inside the temple and their menorah, there was only enough oil to last for seven, uh, for one day. And instead it lasted for eight days and nights. And so when we celebrate Hanukkah now, we light a special menorah called a Hanukkah, although many people just call it a menorah. And that one has eight branches plus a shamus, which is sort of a candle that uh, lights all the others. So it's really nine branches. And that is to celebrate the eight nights that the uh, oil lasted. And another tradition that comes from that uh, miracle is that on Hanukkah, you eat lots of foods that are fried in oil. Actually, fried chicken would be a great idea. We never <laughs> have that. But, but, the, but you can do anything fried in oil. The two most common are um, latkes, which are potato pancakes fried in oil, and sufganiot, which are like jelly donuts fried in oil. Those are the two most traditional Hanukkah foods. And what else do we do on Hanukkah? We spin a dreidel, which is like a spinning top. It has Hebrew letters on each side that spell out or that stand for a great miracle happened there. And it's a game you can play. It's a great game to play with kids. You, Depending on which letter the uh, top lands on, you get a certain amount. It's usually paid with peanuts or chocolate coins, and you, you take or put into the pile, depending on what letter you land on. Some people exchange gifts, but like Crystal, I just want to say... Uh, Hanukkah is in no way supposed to be competition for Christmas. Actually, in the in the Jewish calendar, it's actually considered a minor holiday. It gets a lot more importance just because it comes around Christmas time. But traditionally, it is not a major holiday. In our house, as I was growing up and as my children were growing up, 
it is celebrated quietly. We do not, as some people like to think, get a big gift every day. That's that's not how we do it. I'm sure some people do. Um, we exchange some small gifts and we also um, make donations. Uh, a, a big part of Judaism is meets vote and and sort of doing good things in the world. So we always make sure to 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 give at thanks at uh, Hanukkah. It's it's that's an important part of it. And what was your last question? Oh, what is my favorite thing about this celebration? I love the simplicity of the holiday. It's a quiet holiday. It's a contemplative holiday. We lower the lights in our house and we light the candles. It we just let the the candles shine uh, into the into the darkness. And to me, that's sort of a metaphor that that you're shining your light into the world. And in fact, one one custom in Hanukkah is to put a menorah in your window so that it's shining out into the neighborhood, which which I love. I, I also like the fact that it sort of is the, the meaning of the holiday to me is how one person or just a very small group of people who stand up for what they believe in can make a difference, can prevail. That would be my favorite thing about the holiday. So it's it's actually really funny bringing it back to Sesame Street. I first learned how, you know, the, the game of dreidel works through Elmo's little dreidel. Oh, <laughs> good. Yeah, that's a good book, actually. I, I still have it. I have it right in front of me right now. I edited that book. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> Small worlds. But yeah, that that's it's very it's really good for just like teaching, you know, um kids who who are not Jewish, I may not be familiar with it. It's very simple and explains, you know, what all of these, you know, the symbols stand for and what they mean in the game. Uh it's it's very cute. The other thing I was gonna say is I think it's really interesting that um throughout, you know, obviously like these are very different holidays for me to different parts of the world. And meanwhile, like there's this element of like giving that we talked that all of you talked about that I think is just really, really lovely. I love when there's not like a dedicated time, like you have to give now, like, right. We should, it's a way to remember to do that all the time. But I, I don't know. I think it's really lovely when uh, a holiday, I feel like, I don't know. I'm thinking I'm, I'm Christian, right. And I'm thinking about Christmas where unfortunately it's been very commercialized and, um, it tends to be about like me, 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 what do I want? Right. And so I love, I just, I don't know. I love the idea of flipping that on its head and thinking like, what can we do for other people? Right. Let's take time as a community to think about what we can do for others. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, why do you think it's important for kids to learn about celebrations that they don't celebrate themselves? I think it's extremely important. Um, And the reason being that it opens up their mind to how other people live it shows the commonalities, which is amazing. What I've been hearing the you, Crystal and Leslie, and just sitting there and, you know, mentally marking the checkbox saying, yep, the same. Yep, the same. It's amazing. So I think it gives the kids a, a, a way to relate to the unknown. And suddenly people are not strangers anymore. You know, you don't look at them as something unknown, but you're saying you start to see the commonalities and kids are so good at identifying the patterns. I see this constantly when I would do workshops with, with uh, schools where there would be, you know, maybe two kids who are of Indian origin and everybody else is not. And suddenly you start to, when they would start to connect the dots and they start to see as everybody else in a new light. Um, but I think the biggest, biggest side effect of this is that I think it builds empathy and kindness because you now look at people as 
somebody you you try to understand them and you start to understand them and i think it builds kindness in you because you you're usually afraid of the unknown you know when you don't understand something it's it's fearful and it it brings all kinds of negative emotions and as you start to learn about these things it just you i think it just it just builds empathy in kids um and like i said festivals i think are one of the best ways because there's inherently an excitement and so it's not a chore to learn about another culture it's the perfect way to learn about another culture because you're you're doing it through celebration and what kid doesn't like celebration so yeah that's why i think it's it's important <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Ajanta said it all. I mean, very literally. It that is that is perfect. My thought pattern has always been knowledge is power. And the more we know, the better. The more we teach our kids, the better. The more likely they'll be good people, they'll the next generation will be better than the last. And we break down those those stereotypes and prejudices and cultural divides and we can't help but understand and be okay with people being who they are and, and celebrating what they celebrate and doing what they do or looking like what they look like. So yeah, if, if this is the beginning of us making better children, of having a better future. I think sort of going back, touching on what Ajanta was saying, I think a lot of times like, you know, hatred of other people, it comes from ignorance, right? And just like not knowing and the unknown can be scary. Um, and so I think I mean, right, that's why we're all here. You know, I think the more that we learn about each other and the more that we know, right, the less, you know, unknown and scary it is. And the more it's just like, oh, that's pretty similar to a thing that I that I do, right? You can make those connections. I think that's kind of, kind of human nature is wanting to make those connections. Like, oh, you get presents that holiday? I get presents that holiday. Oh, you have candles that holiday? I have candles for this holiday. I celebrate, right? And I, you know, I think that those can really, especially with kids, you know, I think it's important to sort of, realize that, you know, we're, we're more similar than we are different in a lot of ways. I, I totally agree with that. And, and I think um, Crystal and Ajanta put it beautifully. First of all, kids have to be taught to see the differences. I think they're much more interested in the similarities. And, you know, the world, it, we live in such a big, gorgeous world, and it works best when people are interested in other people and how they live. I think I think kids would be the first ones to acknowledge that if everything was exactly the same, it would be a really boring place to live. So I I don't even I don't even go to the negative place. Oh, that person celebrates something different. I to me, it's just so much more interesting to to learn about all the different um, traditions and customs and histories. And um, I think if you start early with kids, they don't even have a way to think. Oh, wow, that's weird. They just it's just part of them. Oh, look, everyone celebrates something in the winter. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, I think about that with a lot of different things, whether it's race, disability, you know, uh, all these kinds of different things. For for example, I, um, it's really important to me to have diverse children's books. And so even when, even if it's just incidental representation, right? So if we're reading a book about whatever, you know, I want to see, you know, some ability representation and some cultural representation and, you know, racial diversity and all these kinds of things. And so, so often in, this is just one of the, it seems like right now, the only way, you know, illustrators know to represent someone with a disability is someone in a wheelchair. I, I'm so <laughs> glad you said that. I have a real problem with that. Oh it's like gosh. wheelchairs are not the only disabilities. No, like you can, somebody can, have, I mean, someone can have a hearing aid, someone can have invisible disability, someone can have lots of, I mean, walker, crush, like there are so many different things, but 
so many different things, but that's that's a conversation for another episode. The result of this is that I have a lot of books that have kids in wheel who are wheelchair users, and um, so the kids that I'm nannying are seeing kids in wheelchairs all the time. You know, obviously also out in their world. We live right near a school, so that has a couple of kids who use wheelchairs. So, uh, but anyway, all this to say that one day I Mattel has a really cool line of Barbies called Fashionista Barbies that have like all different abilities, all different um, like bo- different body sizes. I mean, different for Barbie. I mean, some of them are like i would say curvy is about the biggest thing but you know what i mean good for barbie and uh, but you know they're short they're tall one has vitiligo like you know all different things and there are two uh that are in wheelchairs so i bought one um and i brought it i brought that and a couple of other ones for them to play with and they were fighting over the one in a wheelchair they both wanted it and i was like they're not like that one's weird i don't want that one they're like this one is cool it has wheels i'm like yes right but there was something about that to me that was like kids are not inherently like that's weird you know and and the more that we are exposing them to different kinds of things and different kinds of people it's just like oh that's super cool right you have wheels (laughs) you know it's not like some uh kind of othering thing or like oh we can't talk about that or look at that person right it's just like oh hey that's just what that is. So I think that's why I think it's so important. You know, we, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, if a kid sort of walked up to you and asked you, you know, what is fill in the blank of the holiday you celebrate? Like, how could you sort of respond in a simple way? Well, was, we sort of gave our detailed answer before, but how, you know, how would you sort of answer that for maybe a young child who said like, hey, what's, you know, Hanukkah, Diwali? Yeah, um, for me, if, if I were to describe Diwali, I'd, I'd basically, you know, even to a little kid, I'll say it is the festival of lights. It is the time to get together to with family and friends and essentially celebrate that good wins over evil. And we do that through lights, through delicious food, through fun gifts and, you know, celebrating our bond with everybody else. I love that. Very simple. Very concise. <laughs> I, I also like Wally. That's this one of my, my favorites. Um, I didn't actually experience a lot of, ho- of these particular holidays growing up in Alabama where I'm from, but it's kind of funny. When I went to college, I actually had a lot of friends that celebrated a lot of these holidays. They celebrated Diwali. They celebrated Hanukkah. I, I went to Emory University in Atlanta and it's all of a sudden you've got a huge melting pot of people. And so to like to be out of class for Rosh Hashanah <laughs> was the coolest thing ever. And I had friends actually just explain to me what, you know, what things were. Uh, for Kwanzaa, it's simple enough. This is a time that we all come together as a community to celebrate the community. And everyone's welcome. Let's learn about African culture. I love that. For Hanukkah, I would say that I could probably go word for word with the Janta's uh, description of Diwali. But um, if, if I were to add anything, it would be that it's about um, standing up for what you believe in and shining your light into the world. And, um, and of course, religious, you know, being free being free to believe what you want to believe. I love that. So sort of talking a little, a little bit about, you know, what I was kind of talking about earlier where, right, like I don't necessarily celebrate these holidays, but I might teach, uh, you know, the kids that I'm with a little bit about them. How, uh, you know, how can someone who doesn't celebrate you know, these holidays respectfully teach their kids about it, sort of what we were talking about before when I mentioned like appreciation versus like appropriation, right? Yes. Um, so if, if somebody wanted to celebrate Diwali, they can literally do everything um, except for if it doesn't align with your religious beliefs, you can skip the praying part. 
But other than that, there is literally nothing that someone could could do which would be considered an appropriation in this case. Um, the way that I think of appropriation, I think it's beautiful when people come and embrace other um, cultures. As long as you don't claim it as your own, I think you're okay. Um, you know, don't don't wear a sari for Halloween outfit. But other than that, I mean, literally, there is nothing that says that you can do any of this and it would be considered disrespectful. There's nothing. So simple ways for, for five days celebration, right? It's so easy, like day one. So what what, what do I do? I tell the kids, go make a fun craft, which is about jewelry. So we, we did this with our son where, you know, we took some uh, paper towel rolls and we made uh, bracelets out of it. There, there's your own thing. Or, you know, if you, of course, you you wanted to go shopping this is another great excuse uh crystal right there um, and then <laughs> day two eat food i mean you know how could you go wrong with that day three light up the diaz there is nothing disrespectful if you wanted to do that i usually tell them how to make their own paper diaz or paint their own diaz um you know the, from the clay ones day four please go donate to the homeless people i mean what can be better than that and then day five you can do the same thing so if you don't have kum kum find some red face face paint anything that's safe put it on a plate and put a dot on someone you love and say you'd be there for them for forever um and literally there's nothing wrong in any of this so there's such simple and easy ways i've written about this as well it's like what can little kids do to celebrate and um you know there is there is nothing disrespectful about any of this we would it's highly encouraged like i said the only part that if it doesn't align with your religious beliefs you don't have to pray and that's about it no that's awesome same thing with kwanzaa um, it's meant to be celebrated by anyone that wants to celebrate it. Uh, there's no cultural appropriation there. Um, as a matter of fact, if anything, I consider anything you do re related to Kwanzaa's cultural appreciation. You know, go out, help your community, be creative, foster your inner gifts. These are all things that everyone really should do. It's just a good time for us to focus on it specifically, just to a reminder. So, you know, you should do these things. I, I encourage anyone, hey, get a Kwanzaa book. Sit down with your kids during Kwanzaa and all everything that's kind of put out through the principles is all very selfless and go do some of these things. Go shop in your communities. Just, you know, go do these things overall. It's, it's not a bad thing. And if to tell someone you're celebrating Kwanzaa, I'm sure they'll encourage you. If anything, they may have a question about it. For Hanukkah, you know, it is a religious holiday. I'm not sure that, um, you know, celebrating it without the religious component makes a lot of sense. But having said that, learning about it is certainly a great thing. It can, That can't possibly be bad. And the principles that it stands for, like freedom and um, doing, uh, you know, standing up for yourself and standing up for the people you care about, those are all important things that everyone should do. And P.S., everyone, if they haven't tried them, should try uh homemade latkes and homemade sufgani oat because wow they're delicious <laughs> who doesn't like a deep fried thing <laughs> i'll give you my hack which is if you're making uh, the jelly donuts you can use the store uh the uh, prepared in advance um pizza dough that you can buy at a store and fry that in oil and then dig a little hole in it with a skewer and put some jelly in it's really easy and it's delicious. Well, okay. So wait, I need more information on this. So do you like put it, like you kind of put it into a ball and then fry it? 
I actually, if you put it into a ball, it's hard to get it to cook completely in the middle. So I actually roll it out a little bit flatter and then use a cookie cutter and do a round cookie cutter. It puffs up as it cooks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to try this. <laughs> I also love like that too. That's something that I do when we learn about different celebrations is I research like what are the foods that they make and like I make them with the kids and it's so fun. Like we, we made ladu for Diwali and they... They, oh my gosh, they liked them, but we made way too many. Uh, and the parents don't like coconut. And we, I made them with coconut, cardamom, and rose water. And the parents were just like, but it's like all coconut, Seth. What are we supposed to do with these? And I was like, I don't know, bye. Food is pretty universal. You, you can't go wrong. Yeah, I think, and I think cooking with kids is so much fun. Like they love mixing things. Oh my, I've never met a kid that doesn't like mixing something. So uh, the last question before we start to wrap things up is just, uh, just like we were talking about, um, what are some sort of kid-friendly activities that maybe someone someone could do associated with the celebration, right? If they wanted to teach their kid about it. Yeah. So um, uh, as I was mentioning, there's a whole bunch of things, uh, mostly related to arts and crafts or cooking or any of those things that are perfect um, to celebrate Diwali. Um, So some things you can do, um, you know, put on the shiniest outfit you have during this time, even if you don't have an Indian outfit because it's fun. Um, There are a whole slew of crafts that you can do around dias. A lot of people make paper lanterns at this time. Um, There are just so many different things you can do. When it comes to rangoli, there are a variety of of activities that you can do to kind of make your own rangoli. We came up with this idea of Play-Doh rangoli. um, And I also love it because there's no mess, um, which is great. And, you know, you you use Play-Doh and you create these beautiful symmetrical patterns and you place the lights around it and it looks beautiful. Um, So there's so many of these. Um, they're all I, I typically blog about them as well, which are which are all like simple, easy ways to celebrate. I love that. Um, then there are some, you know, very kid friendly recipes like you mentioned, um, you know, the, Kids love mixing, of course. And so we actually did a coconut burfi as well for Diwali. And my son had so much fun because this is the first year that he was allowed to stand in front of the stove and actually stir it. Um that was a very big deal for him. He took it very seriously. Um, and so, you know, we made sweets with, with family together. So that's something you can do. Um, you read books, of course, because these are the best way of learning. And then what we do is I create these animations and songs and rhymes. And one way that I did it is I took the song 12 Days of Christmas and I converted it into five days of Diwali. And we made a song about it. And the reason I do it is because then the kids can relate it with it right away. They're like, oh, I know that song. And it's the most hilarious thing that happened is someone's parents said, my kid has actually forgotten about the 12 days of Christmas. They only now sing five days of Diwali on that tune. <laughs> so, that was a funny moment. Um, but, but you know, sing and dance about it. So, you know, I, I love to combine stories and movements together. And so I would teach them a, a dance that is based on Diwali. This is also available, by the way. Um, and, you know, so anybody could, could, could do that. And when you put thing in movement, you kind of internalize the concepts a lot more. So I really use movement as a platform for that. But yeah, so, you know, sing about it, dance about it, dress up, eat, cook, craft, go for it. That's all the easy ways that you can do. Yeah, you know what, Esther, I did sort of like, um, uh, what do you call it? We, I did uh, Rangoli, but I sort of hand drew them, uh, which is a pain. And then l- this year, what I did was I actually found on Amazon, they they had the Rangoli stencils. And so what we did was we put them on the paper, we, we painted glue over the stencils, and then we put like a fine sand 
wherever we wanted it. So that then it was like an easy way to make something beautiful with a two-year-old, right? <laughs> because, you know, sometimes you want art that's, you know, actually looks like something as opposed to just scribbles. But uh, but yeah, so that was like a really fun and easy, and it actually wasn't that messy. I handled most of the sand, like I let them put the sand on and then I sort of, you know, poured it out in the garbage or whatever. That was a really easy way. And then the other thing I was going to say is like music is another great, a great thing like you were talking about like movement and dance like I'll always find like a Diwali playlist on Spotify or whatever um you know and I'll play that music from you know another culture or another celebration and I think that that could be really fun for kids too to interact with different kinds of music for Kwanzaa we keep it simple L- literally the shopping is the, my extreme fun part <laughs> but this year is going to be a little bit different with COVID mine we're, we're staying in I'm keeping the kids in for the most part We're going to make everything very personal, very inclusive here at home. Traditionally, the best thing you can do, let's let's talk about non-COVID years. Traditionally, check your local areas for anyone having a community Kwanzaa celebration. There are more of those than you think. If you're not looking for it, you won't find it. Take your kids there. They are amazing. They normally have food. There's usually dancers. There's presentations by the children, usually community plays. A local community center will have these. And I try to invite friends and their kids to come with me when they, whenever I find these different Kwanzaa events. They're always during Kwanzaa. Trust me, Google is your friend. Locally, there will be a Kwanzaa celebration, believe it or not. And so for the kids to see all that and to feel the energy is amazing. But since we're in COVID right now, going back to that, my biggest thing this year is we're going to focus on music. Definitely celebrating Kaumba creativity. I think I'm already setting up to get some things together so we can do some handmade drums and maybe just do a little drum circle at home. Just kind of vibe out with each other. Uh, Handmade instruments. Every kid loves those handmade type shakers and maracas and, and drums and just us sit together and laugh and talk about our music, maybe even record it. That might be something fun to post on Instagram. I'm sure people will get a good laugh out of it just to show that, hey, we're celebrating Kwanzaa and we're doing it from home safely. Yeah, there's there's a really good, and I, I can share these, but there's um, a really good way to make a drum if you have like, I'm thinking of like the, like uh, a lot of the kids' snack containers or like a coffee can traditionally has that sort of like plasticky top that makes a great sound and you can decorate it outside. Um, and then I also really like to make like rain sticks or shakers with toilet paper rolls or paper towel rolls. Use African patterns to decorate them. That's also part of creativity and crafting. And then let them get dressed up. Let them put on their fanciest clothes, their most colorful outfits, and and dance around while we're making the music. They'll love it. They'll remember it forever. Kids love getting dressed up. I sometimes do like tea parties with the kids, and we wear like our fancy clothes when we have a tea party, and I think it's so fun. Because like, how often do you get to wear, they wear them once for something, and then they grow out of them? Like, come on, use those fancy clothes. So for Hanukkah, I think everything that has been mentioned, cooking is always a big thing. Uh, music is always a big thing, although I have to admit that my kids loved Christmas carols, so we sang a lot of Christmas carols at our house. Uh, art is always good. Um, one of the things we do is we do, when the kids were little, we um, had them trace around their two hands with the thumbs hooked uh, side by side in the middle, and that actually makes a nice Hanukkah menorah. That's so cool. Do not, under any circumstances, and I've tried this, it was a big disaster, make a Hanukkah menorah out of styrofoam and then light it. I don't know what got into me, but we did that. (laughs) You know, when when I was growing up, my parents were um, 
always sure to invite at least one or two of our friends who didn't celebrate Hanukkah to our house. And I think in general, that is such a great way to learn about other traditions. We did that with a lot of, we actually had a very, uh, very close friends of our family who um, were Indian. And we were constantly switching houses for the different holidays, because that's a natural way for kids to learn about other traditions. So I would suggest that too. And of course, the dreidel game, which I already mentioned, which you can find online, you can find the rules for it. It's really a fun thing to do. Yeah, that was something I I felt I've uh, I felt very sort of lucky to be able to to do that. But the um I've worked with a lot of families of you know different backgrounds, and the last family I worked with happened to be Jewish, and I got to you know celebrate or be there for the celebration of Hanukkah with them, which was just like such a cool I don't know I felt like I was being let in on this cool inside thing, <laughs> right? It's it's one thing to learn about it, but to actually sort of be into in something is really uh, it's a really special experience for sure as we're sort of wrapping things up i'm just curious if you have any resources for you know kids and adults could be books shows websites anything like that yeah absolutely so we have a whole series of books it's called maya and neil india adventure series and this was our very first book we call ourselves accidental authors because we were all about you know stories and movement and then suddenly the book happened and we were sitting there and it, it ranked 387 out of all 8 million books on Amazon. And the two of us, my husband and I, we write these together. We're just sitting there staring at it saying, how did this happen? But this this book is actually available for anybody to buy. It is through Amazon, I, I have to say. It's called Let's Celebrate Five Days of Diwali. And while you're at it, look at the other books as well. You know, we really try to give a nice showcase of the Indian culture through fun and celebration. We also have some on places, you know, like Delhi, Mumbai, Taj Mahal and all of that. But that would be one thing. The other one would be our YouTube channel. So like I mentioned, we actually create songs and dances and animations, um, you know, again, to make it really fun for kids to to learn um, and just search for Culture Groove on YouTube and you should be able to find it. And then the other thing is that I do uh, free monthly story times. So I have a Facebook group where I do this. It's called Raise Multicultural Kids. And again, it's a wonderful way for for parents to bring their kids we i would usually you know read the books i'll tell them stories we have beautiful q a sessions the unicorn question actually happened in one of them um and so the kids are very very interactive during these story times so i love to do that so for anybody you know join this group at least once a month i usually talk about some cultural aspect of india and yeah those those would be some of the main ones and the final one i would say are our virtual classes so since covid we've had to pivot pretty much overnight we've been very fortunate we've had almost 6000 signups you know since march um, and we create these lovely classes that are essentially a combination of of dances and indian culture stories um, and i would i would love for for parents to come check it out the first class is actually free it's on our website um, so for to know anything about all of these things that i said um, the, you can start with bollygroove.com/virtual that's actually the best starting point and you can get to know about the books about the youtube channel about the story time groups and all of that good stuff. For Kwanzaa, very simply, I'm a big, obviously I'm big into books. Um, my favorite little kid's book is actually called The Gifts of Kwanzaa. And it's by an African-American artist. Her name is Cynthia St. James. She's actually created the first Kwanzaa stamp for the U.S. Postal Service. So Cynthia St. James has a book called The Gifts of Kwanzaa. It was actually my um, it's actually been a Kwanzaa gift I give, I've given to all my boys when they were small. And as they get a little bit bigger, 
Um, there's one that's out. It's called Little Rabbits Kwanzaa. It's by Donna Washington. And then even a little bit bigger, kind of middle school, you've got The Seven Days of Kwanzaa. And that's by Angela Shelf Medeiros. It's, it's excellent. Medeiros is M-E-D-E-A-R-I-S. Uh, it's, it goes a little bit deeper into the holiday, into the principles. And then for adults, if they want to you know, read about it as well, uh, Dr. Milana Karanga, who is the founder of Kwanzaa, has his own book. And it's called Kwanzaa, A Celebration of Family, Community, and Culture. So those are all excellent. For internet, as far as going to find something on the web, believe it or not, if you go to WikiHow and search for Kwanzaa, it is so detailed. (laughs) I'm actually amazed at, at what a great job they did with Kwanzaa on WikiHow. It tells you everything, how to handle each night, how to light your candles, how to set up your, uh, how to set up your altar, everything. And I, I was amazed by that. Actually, I didn't know that uh, ahead of time. I actually figured that out um, getting ready for this podcast. <laughs> and I was like, wow, WikiHow, I'm, I'm impressed. So definitely take a look at Kwanzaa and WikiHow. Take a look at those books. They make them for all ages. Like I said, this has been around since the 60s. It's not very, very, very old, but it is definitely celebrated um, all over. So you can find a lot of really good resources for Kwanzaa. That's awesome. I also really like, I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar with Together for Kwanzaa? Yes. Uh huh. I also really like that one because uh, it's both a story, but it teaches about the principles and sort of traditions as well, which is kind of nice because I find often it's one or the other when it comes to holidays where like it'll tell you the sort of story or like how it's celebrated or it'll be a story about the holiday um and i like that one because it's sort of both which is which is nice for hanukkah um first of all if you want just a basic um website that really is great in terms of explaining things and not just for hanukkah but for any jewish uh question i would check out um, myjewishlearning.com it's a great website as far as TV shows, my kids, when they were little, were always looking for something because there's always Charlie Brown's Christmas. There's all kinds of stuff about Christmas and not much about Hanukkah, but that has changed. There's a great, now not so new, uh, Shari Lewis Hanukkah special and a Rugrats Hanukkah special, both of which are are excellent. And then for um, books, uh, you had mentioned Elmo's Little Dreidel, which is a good one. There's also the Count's Hanukkah Countdown. These are all going to be Sesame Street books. And one that actually I wrote under a pen name called Grover's Eight Nights of Light. And then I'm going to plug a new book that I wrote that is for slightly older um, children, but it's a picture book. It's called The Eight Nights of Hanukkah, but it's not nights like stars and moon nights. It's nights, K-N-I-G-H-T-S. It just came out. And it's about eight nights of both genders and all different ethnicities that ride out into the countryside doing good deeds and shining the light of kindness into the world. And it's really cute. It has terrific illustrations. And there's my shameless plug of the day. If I can second that. I have read this book and it is wonderful. The illustrations are really beautiful, um, but it's a really fun, uh, it's a really fun take on sort of the spirit, I feel like. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really explain the holiday um, except on a back page, 
but it's a fun story. But we need books. We need both kinds of books, right? Like, exactly. Well, that's what I'll do. Like often with the kids, like I'll have one book that's sort of like, what is this thing? And then I'm like, okay, like now we've gotten that out of the way. Now we can read a book that's, you know, more uh, of a story. Right. Um, so that's awesome. Um, so uh, some of you have done this already, but if there's anything else that you have to plug or uh, any that work that you did, things like that, um, and or where can people find you on the internet if you do want to be found? So I clearly um, probably almost misunderstood the previous question and only That's went totally with a shameless okay. plug. <laughs> so, That's totally okay. You're not the first. So the only thing I would add is, you know, find us on social media. We actually uh, put out a, a lot of useful resources, which isn't about buying things, but it's just like fun, free ideas for, for people to constantly, you know, celebrate culture and whatnot. Um, so definitely find us on social media, you know, Bollywood Groove, Culture Groove on both Facebook and Instagram um, are pretty active. But yeah. Yeah, I think I've mentioned everything else already. For me, very simply, my platform, um, primarily on Instagram, is about learning at home. And that's not just for homeschoolers. That's for any parent that wants to enrich their child's learning and educational experience. It is Mama Sweet Baby. And it's one S, that's M-A-M-A-S-W-E-E-T-B-A-B-Y. You can find me on Instagram at Mama Sweet Baby. You can find me on YouTube at Mama Sweet Baby. Um, my WordPress blog is Mama Sweet Baby. But we do a little bit of everything. And it's so much fun. You rarely see the big boys. It's primarily me and the little one just getting into our daily adventures of whatever we're doing. <laughs> I'm so impressed that you can have both a blog and a child at this, like a small child. <laughs> it's okay. When the blog is pretty much about the child, it all goes together. I have tried like before, before this, I tried blogging and I'm just like, I, I like, like I'm good at writing, but like, I'm, I'm not very fast at writing. I will say uh, I'm not the fastest writer. And that just like did not work. I tried doing that before this. And I was just like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm a faster talker. I'll do that. I'll just talk at people. No, this is my way to, this is a future book. This, this little one is fascinating. If he doesn't kill me before I write the new book, <laughs> I mean, this kid is, is yeah. <laughs> so yeah, check out Mama Sweet Baby. It, it is really a wild, wild ride and it's, it's all been organic. It, I, I've always had the Instagram page since he was a little baby. But now that, you know, of course, COVID is here and we've been in a lot. Oh, it's been, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> and for me, um, you can find me at lesliekimmelman.net. That's my website. I'm also on Facebook, Leslie Kimmelman, comma, writer. I try and update those, although not so good these days, but they, they're fairly up to date. Um, and I already talked about my book. So that's it for me. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been such a, honestly, it's been very fun for me to learn about all these things and I'm hopefully our, our listeners will have the same experience. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing and uh, it's been a pleasure. And remember, stay rad. Dragons. K.
Canada. The multiverse theory. Corgis. Queer representation. Reconciliation. Angels. Demons. Squirrels. Moose. Moose and squirrels. Sorcerers. Dinosaurs. Forests. Giants. Rogues. Warlocks. Plains. Sewers. Lavender. Natural Toonie. A Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Right here on the Upford Network. I'm Tefra Jemian, the producer and host of the Yeah Podcast, a young adult lit review podcast focusing on amplifying the diverse voices in YA literature. Join us as we dig into the world of young adult books, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what YA lit can teach us at any age. Discover the world of YA Lit through exclusive author interviews, book reviews, genre smackdowns, and more. The Yeah Podcast, available through the Upgrade Network on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! Yeah!